Conversations with Catholic Voices. Tackling the tough questions with Daniel Noor and Catholic Voices Australia. Hello, Cradio listeners. My name is Daniel Noor. When I entered the Catholic Church on September the 21st, 2011, I brought all of my confusion, anxiety and uncertainty right in with me. As a young journalist searching for the truth, I'll be interviewing a spokesperson of Catholic Voices, a nationwide media representative of the Church, every week. I invite you to join me and to have your questions about today's hot topics answered as well. This is Conversations with Catholic Voices. Today our topic is the Synod, what you need to know. And our guest is Andrew Milne. Andrew is a young father. He also converted in 2011. I believe he was a Baptist. He'll tell you a little bit more about that in a moment. And he's similarly thirsty to know more about the church's teachings. He studied law and engineering, but is about to go into teaching. Andrew, thank you for joining us. Thanks very much, Daniel. Very pleased to be here. Uh, Andrew, was it the uh, theology of the church or, you know, was it politics or what was it that drew you in? Um, well, I think I, I think I approached the church with a very healthy suspicion of it, which is, is always a good way to start, I think, rather than apathy. <laughs> and um, it, was, it was very much um, the issue of the, the church's teaching on marriage and family, and particularly the issue of contraception. That was something um, where the church's teaching was quite different from the tradition that I was part of. Um, and so I was very keen to sort of understand the church's position. And when I started delving into that a little bit, um, and, and that was I did that uh, just on a short uh, theology of the body course. I was I was very impressed with what I found, and basically could see that what the church was proposing was an ideal, and that if if one was searching for the way to I guess have the best marriage possible, then um, it, it was really important to embrace what the church was proposing, and. Um, from that point onward, I guess it was uh, there were just more and more discoveries of things that really impressed me um, to the point where I, I just had to become Catholic. So it was a great journey. Mm, a great journey. I'm sure a very difficult journey. This mm. is, uh, in, in its own right, something we could talk about for, for hours. <laughs> Quite right. Um, Andrew, this is uh, such a, a meaty topic that I wonder, could we be maybe better serving the needs of our listeners if we stretch it out into two. Uh, unlike The Hobbit, you know, which was un unnecessarily three movies, I feel like this one does actually represent substantially enough for at least two podcasts. And and that way, perhaps we won't be w rushing through it. But in any case, we'll see how we go. And mm. uh, if I'm finding that, you know, that this is not, we're not going to be able to cover what we need to in the allotted time, then I'll call it a day and, and then we might reconvene for a second. How does that sound? Certainly. Great. Okay, then. All right. Well, uh, the Synod on Marriage and the Family, you know, many have touted as kind of a, a new Vatican II, a Vatican III even, and that this is one of the more substantial synods that the Church has called in, in the last couple of decades. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I guess the, the, the question is, has Church teaching changed in any way? And indeed, even before then, why the need? for this synod. Why? Mm. So the topic for the synod is the pastoral challenges of the family in the context of evangelization. Um, so the focus is really on pastoral challenges. And Pope Francis, in his homily at the opening mass to the synod, 
spoke of caring for the family and the need for the church to better understand, nurture and tend the Lord's vineyard to help realize his dream, his loving plan for people. And so the church is really concerned to realize Christ's plan, which is for flourishing families, for families that are places of love and life. When we look around us, um, particularly in the West, what we're seeing is the widespread breakdown in families. We're seeing the normalization of divorce and remarriage, and we're seeing the normalization of cohabitation and same-sex relationships. These are all things that, that go against Christ's plan. Um, they harm the family. Um, and so what the church is looking to do is to take stock of uh, the cultural situation around us and really look at new ways that it can minister to people who are, are struggling, who are hurting because of, because of what's happening. Um, the church wants to inspire couples to, to look to marriage as something, uh, something to aim for and, and give them the tools so that they can live it faithfully. I mean, people are obviously struggling with that at the moment. Mm. So the church wants to respond to that need. And I guess the synod is, is uh, the first step to, to really look around us, see what's happening, uh, look at the way Christ responded to the, the issues uh, that faced him and his ministry, and, um, and I guess apply those to the, the cur current cultural context. Mm. Um, is there a kind of... <clears throat> you've mentioned that there is a real difficulty going on in, in marriage at the moment, a mm. kind of tension. I found a very helpful uh, commentary on this online by uh, Austin Ivory, who is actually the founder of Catholic Voices, no product mm. placement mm. intended. But he mm. says that there is a difficulty for many to live in the tension between the cultural zeitgeist and Jesus' teaching, an inability for co-religionists. And mm. also, um, he says, and this is quite a, a potent uh, quote, it pains me to say it, but years of standing against secularism has turned many of my co-religionists into ideologues. They love the clarity of Catholic doctrine, its intellectual coherence, and its mm. defiance of the zeitgeist. Mm. But as Jesus came to tell us, we are not saved by the law. Its purpose is mm. to lead us to God. And the mm. face of God, as Jesus showed, was one of mercy. And then he goes on to say Jesus lived in the mess and ate with sinners and preferred the poor. Mm. And uh, that this is pointed out by Pope Francis in his brilliant homily on the day the interim relatio was released. Does this synod, the, the, the Pope's decision to call um, such a, a, a large gathering of bishops represent his frustration or an acknowledgement of the Church's breaking away with or inability to engage with culture? Mm. Yeah, sure. Well, look, I think, I think the idea of uh, tension is really at the heart of it in the sense that as soon as, as Christians we sort of feel comfortable to either go along with everything that's happening or on the other hand to sort of stand back and sort of point at people and say you shouldn't be doing that you shouldn't be doing that that we've really um we've sort of missed the boat and pope francis in his apostolic exhortation i guess um set uh the 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 sort of agenda for his papacy i guess and and one of the quotes from from that is that he wants a church that offers not just god's truth but God's merciful understanding, a church that is not just a school for the fit, but a hospital for the, the broken. And of course, that sort of language 
was really picked up by by the secular media, um, and I, I guess that shows a real um, uh, sort of crying out from our culture um, uh, to be to be loved um, and to be loved in in the circumstances where people find themselves. So. Um, I, I think uh, that sort of idea applies very much to the sin that that uh, what is hoped for and that what we should be praying for is that the church finds finds new ways of reaching out to people, mm. uh, engage with engaging with them and calling them to holiness. Mm. All right, then. So there is uh, there is a, uh, a need for the sin. Then you would agree. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Has church teaching changed in any way? Well, the short answer is that no, it hasn't changed. What we've what we saw in October was a month long um, uh, a discussion of around two hundred and fifty bishops, and the purpose of that was essentially to listen and to discuss things, discuss what's going on, discuss possible uh, approaches and solutions. Uh, Pope Francis was very clear at the start of that that he wanted a candid discussion. He wanted people to not to be sort of holding back their ideas. He wanted people to put everything on the table and uh, I, I guess uh, the idea being that um, through the process of that first discussion and year-long deliberations um, and, and uh, process of consultation that we're now in and then the 2015 Synod that the truth will, will come through um, from that. Uh, the document that we have for the moment is the final report of, of the Synod that's just occurred. And that report says that the, the proposed reflections in that document are intended to raise questions and indicate points of view which will be later developed and clarified. So it's certainly not a teaching document. It's a document to say, look, this is what is discussed. These are the issues. Go away and think about it. And when we return in October 2015, we need to um, sit down and uh, come, up with, come up with some solutions, I guess. Mm. So it's not a sudden, you know, flash in the pan moment. There has been a build up. Is that right? Yeah, there's certainly been a build up, and and the process. I guess the key point is the process is very much ongoing. Um, we're we're very much in the and sort of in the thick of the process. We've and and in some ways we've only just started. So um, I think looking at some of the well, a lot of the coverage and some of the sort of going internal goings on. Yeah, I mean, certainly. Um, it's a little bit unsettling, but yes, um, the New York Times and you know the Huffington Post and uh, mm. you know both sides of politics and and be they left or or right wing you know media outlets have made this seem uh, kind of momentous moment of change, mm. Mm. dramatic change in church yeah. in 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 the in the Catholic Church. Yeah, yeah, and I, I think that's the wrong way of looking at it. What we what we should expect um, is we should consider the whole point of the synod, which is the pastoral challenges of the family in the context of evangelization. And we we can expect to see further developments in the church's approach to dealing with those challenges. Um, so we shouldn't expect things to, to change. Um, Father Robert Barron did a, did a helpful article, and he, he referred to Blessed John Henry Newman mm. um, in his discussion on the legitimate development of doctrine, um, and, and that is development rather than corruption of document. And, and Newman spoke of a number of tests to d consider whether development is legitimate. 
Uh, one of those was preservation of type, and, and that is that the essential form and structure of doctrine can't be altered. Another is conservative action upon its past. And I think that's really another way of explaining what Cardinal Pell said when he said the church does not do backflips on doctrine. Um, sure. Another criterion, the power of assimilation. Um, so basically the idea that the church takes in all the good that it sees around it but, but rejects what is bad. Um, there's a sifting process that has to go on, and we're right in the heart of that sifting process, I guess. Many of these challenges are new, certainly. Um, you know, you know things like the normalization of same-sex unions. I mean, that is a very new thing that hasn't been dealt with by our culture. Um, you know, sort of. I mean, you could pretty much say ever. Mm. Um, so, so the church, uh, yeah, finds itself needing to to um, reapply, I guess, its its teaching to to address this this situation. Andrew, I wanted to go into each of these in. Uh, a more specific way, same-sex mm. couples, divorcee, separated people, contraception. However, mm. you seem to say that the church has not changed its teaching in any way. And yet, we do see this tension between the rigorous and traditional language that has been traditionally used, mm. you know, for example, that uh, is it the catechism that said homosexuality is, is objectively a disorder that, um, you know, the remarriage after divorce is a sin. We'd have none of it, all of this. Mm. And the much softer tone that was at least proposed for the synod before it was, re I mean, for the relatio, for the document release, mm. before it was recanted on some counts. Language yeah. like, we welcome homosexuals into the church being changed into, are we providing for, mm. are we providing for gay people? Yeah, so yeah. is that not significant? Is, does this not show that there is a kind of paradigm shift going on? Seeing God in the good, meeting people where they are, understanding that moral choices are not simple, and of course this idea of gradualism. And is it not true that that has been opposed by certain cardinals like Raymond Burke and George mm. Pell and Gerhard uh, Mueller? Mm. And is there not uh, a rift going on? Yeah, look, and I, I guess um, my view is that uh, sound doctrine, um, like Newman says, uh, sort of develops. Um, so I, I think this idea of rift um, uh, sort of arises uh, from the idea that the church sort of is, you know, this sort of serene place where things just, you know, God just speaks from the sky and things kind of develop uh, with no argy-bargy. But we know from history that that's, that's just not how it works. There, there are tensions and there are um, disagreements. And, and what we have to trust is that the Holy Spirit works through all of that to guide the, the church and to preserve her from error. Um, and I think, personally, I don't think there's a lot to be gained by sort of really... Uh, focusing on these rifts and uh, uh, sort of battles uh, in a sense because um, they're sort of part of the process. Really, it's a situation of wait and see. Ultimately, we have to wait to see what comes out of the 2015 Synod, mm. what is produced. And, and that really is our answer. Um, I think, uh, yeah, there's, there's not a whole lot you can, you know, you can speculate as much as you like on what's going on and who's saying what and who's doing what. But ultimately, we need to look at what the church currently teaches 
but also realize that there's real sort of pastoral things happening in the sense of our, our world is changing rapidly. So the way we deal with and apply that teaching is, is you know, there's always a need for uh, fresh ways of approaching these situations. Mm, mm, mm. Uh, yeah, but I guess I'm not, I'm not personally particularly into, yeah, sort of getting too much into the... Uh, the politics. Uh, very, yeah, the politics, essentially, um, because uh, I guess the reason I became Catholic was because ultimately, uh, instead of placing my faith in my own sort of understanding of things, my own reading of scripture, my own conclusion about things, um, I chose instead to stick close to the Pope. And I think that's, to me, is essentially what it means to be Catholic as opposed to be some other sort of Christian is to stay close to the Pope. Mm. And when you say mm. stay close to the Pope, is there some kind of guarantee that what is true and good, I mean, have we seen a precedent where in Vatican II, for example, was it the mm. case that any of the churches, you can say teachings, you can say dogma, whatever, but the point mm. is, has the church changed in a substantial way insofar as pre-Vatican II Catholics are unable to see eye to eye with the post-Vatican II Church, I am. I think that would be the most recent precedent for this kind of thing. And yeah, can you yeah. can you guarantee that 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 there will not be a kind of falling away, a division? No. Well, I mean, history tells us that there are divisions. Um, so, and that's a sad human reality, I guess. Um, so, we certainly have to pray that that won't occur. And yeah, certainly in the Protestant Reformation, I mean, that was. Uh, you know, a huge schism and, and the, the same in terms of the East-West schism. Um, I, I can't imagine anything, of, anything like that magnitude occurring. Yeah. Um, but um, we, we don't want any schism, so uh, we, we definitely want to pray for unity yeah. um, and, and have, have faith in, in the Holy Spirit that uh, the church will be guided and the process will be productive and keep the faithful united, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Andrew, we, we need to be looking more specifically now at what each of the elements of uh, the, the document will mean, but I'm concerned that we'll be uh, cutting that a bit too short in order for any real you know, discussion to go on. Sure. I guess just for, you know, before we, we draw this to a close, are there any the final thoughts perhaps that you would like our listeners to take away for why it is that this synod needed to take place, this synod on marriage and the family? Mm, mm. Uh, well, I think the biggest thing for me is just the, the way in which uh, what was once unquestionable um, is now up for grabs in, in, in the secular world in the sense that it, it you know, it used to be perfectly acceptable to say that, you know, a child does best with a mother and a father, for example. Now that is an incredibly controversial statement. And I guess that's the environment that the church finds itself in, that it has to work in that environment. Um, so it's a real challenge for the church to, uh, to speak the truth in love, I guess, uh, to work out how best to, to, um, to approach these issues, particularly when they become personal, um, when we're no longer talking about principles, we're actually t looking at a family and saying, here's a child that, uh, for example, in something like surrogacy, it's been separated from its biological mother, uh, it now is being raised by 
by sort of a reconstituted family. Um, how do we deal with that? Um, so, so I, I guess that that is the those are the big issues, mm. Mm. and and that's why the synod was needed. Yes. Andrew, thank you for joining us, but we will just put it out there that in our next instalment, we very much, uh, you know, need to discuss what this synod means for same-sex couples, for divorcees, for separated people, and for the church's approach on contraception. That's it for today's discussion of the synod, but the conversation continues on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash conversations CV, forward slash conversations CV. Join us there and have your say. Thank you, Andrew. Thanks, Daniel. I'm Daniel Noor. Thank you for joining us and uh, stay tuned for our next installment. You've been listening to Conversations with Catholic Voices. To connect with Daniel and the Catholic Voices Australia team, visit facebook.com forward slash conversations CV. To leave a question for a future episode, call 028005 or Skype Cradio Limited. Cradio.org.au